start off with a story, shall we? A few uh, years ago, um, my family, we're kind of spread out. Some of us are in Calgary and then throughout different parts of Alberta and Canada. So anyways, we all got together for a big extended family get-together, big family dinner. These are normally a lot of fun in our family. Lots of laughter, lots of food, catching up, whatever. We finished dinner. We were sitting around in the living room. The TV was on, and we looked over, and it was a political news story, and a political figure was on the television. Someone makes a comment in support of the person we were watching, and we engaged in a political conversation. This is kind of irregular for our family. For whatever reason, we've never really jumped in and attacked politics. Normally, our times together as a family, because we're a little bit spread out, are not as frequent. And so when we get together, we want to typically talk about lives and where have you been and what's been going on or whatever. But this, for whatever reason, we got into this political discussion. And one person begins saying, I think this person really knows what's going on. I I don't think I need to get any more specific than that. (laughs) And I just, in all honesty, I was a little taken back by it. I was shocked, actually, uh, that that was their opinion of this person. Obviously, I shared a different opinion. And some other people shared a different opinion. And so we began kind of jumping in on the topic. Uh, How do you say this in a nice way? We just started sharing our honest feelings about this person. And it the conversation started degrading. All right, can we say that? And then it started getting a little sarcastic. And, and then in the sarcasm came some defensiveness. And I think it would be f- fair to say that in a very short amount of time, a few of us kind of ganged up and were kind of dismissing this person's perspective. Well, that night ended sour. That was the first time our immediate family has experienced a real, in in recent memory, a sour ending like that. We gave each other hugs, but they were cold. There was energy. There was this, I think in my mind, I was, I was reeling a little bit. And I, I know at some points throughout that night, I was selling. I was trying to convince. I was trying to get this person to see my perspective, and they weren't. And that was bothering me. Because normally we see eye to eye. Normally when I say, hey, hey, be careful, they would say, oh, okay. I'll, but it wasn't that. We got into that car that night, and... I remember Kathy kind of looking at me. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm fine. But I tell you, over the next number of weeks and months, the correspondence 
the texting, the, the phone conversations, they were drying up. How many know what I'm talking about? It's like all of a sudden the phone stops ringing. And every time you start to think, oh, I should... Mm. Mm. I know that our story is not unique. It seems like over the last number of years, I have heard this story told again and again and again. And the stories, regardless of the topic, they all seem to have these kind of things where it's like defensiveness, people arguing, people not seeing each other and, and then dismissing and it just sometimes they get very animated and it can be over anything. Like, I, whether it's over COVID vaccinations, some kind of po- political thing, sometimes it's over spiritual beliefs and religion, social issue that's on the news right now, people get into that. Man, I've been watching online the number of couples that are arguing right now over Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, and who's more popular. Like, it's crazy. The amount of energy that is being expended and, and engaged in a kind of a divisive way. Some of it's comical. Some of it we can laugh at and go, you know, it's, it's fun kind of disagreeing with people over some of this stuff. But some of it, it is no laughing matter. Conversations turn confrontational and lines get drawn. The relational damage that can happen is, is just, it's so sad. I I can't even imagine the number of relationships that have been left wounded. If we think about through the whole pandemic and the division within that thing alone, leaving people in relationships, families with less trust, more suspicion, more anger, feelings of judgment toward loved ones, toward loved ones. Neighbors, families divided, co-workers divided. I'm looking out into different people's worlds and it's like their world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. We were already chronically lonely long before the pandemic. Now we're in a real danger zone. People just living these cocooned lives. What is the answer to that? How do you fix this thing that's going on? Should there be topics that we should never engage in? Should we say religion and politics never go there? And how many other topics do we want to add onto that list? Because it seems the topics are just getting thrown on again. And, and, and Oh, here's a new one. Here's a new one. Like, do we have to get to the point where all we got are the... Not even the flames right now. That's a divisive issue. Man, the weather? Like, when we sense a difference in opinion, should we just quickly shut it down and say, let's just agree to disagree? Is that the answer? Very quickly before anything goes sideways? There's a lot of people seem to think that that might be the way. Let's just not go there. Let's leave that alone. Is that really our answer, though? to retreat to our own personal echo chambers 
where everyone within that chamber agrees and believes and thinks the same, and we never get our back up, we never have to worry about getting defensive because the person across the table is saying the exact same thing that we want them to say? Brene Brown doesn't think so. In her book, Braving the Wilderness, she said people often silence themselves. They agree to disagree without fully exploring the actual nature of the disagreement for the sake of protecting a relationship or maintaining connection. That's why they're doing it. They're going, hey, let's, let's keep things happy. Let's, let's, let's not ruffle the feathers here. Let's just leave this alone. But she says, when we avoid certain conversations, we never fully learn how the other person feels about all the issues. We sometimes end up making assumptions that not only perpetuate and deepen our misunderstandings, And that can generate resentment. She would say avoiding the conversation is not the answer. Avoidance leads to more problems. Hmm. Well, that's troublesome, isn't it? And then you think about what Jesus would say. He comes out one day, he says, if you love only those who love you, (laughs) big deal. Who should, get, who should get credit for that? Anyone can do that. You do good to only those people who do good to you? He says, try loving your enemies. Now, that was an interesting choice of word, wasn't it? Enemies. Because I think there were times when Jesus says, love your neighbor, and people would say, I am trying to love my neighbor, but this one's a bad one. So they're excused. I'm focusing on my good neighbors. Jesus says, no, let me just up the ante here. Love your enemy. I'm pretty sure that whatever way you wanted to describe that bad neighbor of yours is probably going to be less than an enemy. So between loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, all of those people are fair game. It's like Jesus saying, true spirituality shines in this arena with difficult people, people who don't see eye to eye with you, people who will share something and it rattles you, leaves you kind of going, what? You've got to be kidding me. You think that. Question, how do you even do that? How would you ever imagine loving an enemy? Loving someone that's sitting on the other side maybe has no value in your perspective or is saying something completely sideways in your mind where you feel the defensiveness, you feel the animosity toward their views and them perhaps toward yours. Today we're starting a new series It's called Disagreeing Beautifully because we believe that this ability to be able to look at someone across the table who doesn't see eye to eye and be able to do it in a beautiful way, sit and have these conversations is part, is a big part of the spiritual journey. There's a mandate to it. Jesus says, anyone can do this other thing. 
True spirituality that's going to bring heaven to earth has an ability to stay at the table with those who are not friendly necessarily to your ideas or your opinions. To work it out. To find a way to get along. And Today I want to kick this series off by exploring the way that we relate to people. This is a very key piece of this conversation. How, how can you stay in the conversation? How can you disagree in a beautiful way? A lot of it from the research we've done seems to be at the way that you look at the person that's across the table who's different, whose ideas are not yours. How do you approach them? How do you look at them? There's a guy named Martin Buber. He's a prolific author and scholar. He, he was really prominent back in the early 1900s. He wrote a seminal book called I and Thou. <sighs> I and Thou. I just, I, I don't do old King James language. I don't use thou very often. And he uses this description. And in fact, I want to stay true to the way that he described it. And so, and that might be problematic for you, but I think if you listen carefully, the concept behind these two different approaches that he says are very common in the way that we look at people, you'll, you'll see them and perhaps you'll spot them in your life. Understanding the difference between the two and what might be going on even in your own world right now in the way that you are reacting to someone. When you can see it, oh man, it's amazing how this, these concepts can change the game, if you understand what's going on. The first way we can relate to people, see them, is through what he calls an I-it relationship, an I-it encounter. I being the person, the other person being an it. That's strong language, right? But he says essentially through one particular way of relating to people, you see them very much as an object, as a descriptor, as a label. Through the I, it, it's, yeah. well, let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever felt used by someone? Have you ever felt like there was some part of your life that someone needed? Something you could give them. And it, maybe you didn't recognize it at first, but at some point in time, you could not give them that thing. And then the relationship started changing. It was like, your value or your worth in their eyes was based on this one label, this one category, this one, whatever it is. Maybe you felt that with your parents. As long as you could perform, as long as you could do the song and dance, get the good grades or whatever. Ah. But as soon as that, all of a sudden, the love starts being withheld. I could name a million different ways that we can feel used by someone where some part of us is all they seem to see. It happens in another way. Maybe you felt misunderstood because you shared a particular stance or belief you have about something. And then you notice someone and their perspective or their opinion of you, the way that they're relating to you changed. It's just like, Wow, you found out I think this way, and now I can tell something's changed. 
or you found out something that I've done in my past. You find out that I hang out with a certain kind of people or I read certain kinds of periodicals or I, this is my political persuasion. Oh, all of a sudden something changed. What is it? That's the I-it relationship. They're focused on a, on a small slice of you and that becomes your identity in their world. And that's when the stereotypes get built out. Have you ever felt that? Oh, I have. As a, as a Christian pastor, I've learned on the golf course, I've got about nine, ten holes golfing with strangers before the, the question comes out, what do you do for a living, Jeff? And then I know as they figure out, as I tell them what I'm doing, things just start changing. They're like, you do what? And I'm like, hang on. <laughs> don't, don't jump to, and I can tell it's already, they start apologizing. They start um, explaining what they meant by certain things, trying to backtrack. They were so worried. And, I, and I'm looking at them going, hang on, hang on. You don't really fully understand who I am. You have a caricature. You have a label that has a whole identity attached to it that you've just put on me, and I, that might not be me. Have you ever felt that way? Looking at someone and saying, no, 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 no. I am more than that label. You and I, we may not agree on certain things. You may not share my beliefs in certain arenas, but I guarantee you there is a lot about us that we have in common. I'm probably a lot more like you than you even realize. I hate when all of a sudden someone's looking at me and I can tell they're judging me by some part of my life. That is the I-it in action. The I-it objectifies a person and looks at them through a very narrow lens. And your value, your worth, their willingness to engage in you is based on that sliver. That's the problem with this I-it piece, which is rampant right now. He's an atheist. Oh, she's gay. They're anti-vaxxers. She's gorgeous. He's a vegan. These are just labels, right? These are labels that we put on people. She, oh, he's a liberal. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Oh, they're traditional Christians. She's always late. You see how these labels can just get slapped on someone? And all it has to take is a mention, and then everyone gets to fill in all the blanks that they think now are true about that person. These labels may in fact describe a part of the person, but how many know in truth that person is so much more than any one label will ever describe. With, through the I-it relationship with someone, they 
They cannot see all of you. But Buber says there's another way of seeing people. He calls it the I thou. This looks and feels so much different. He calls it the I thou encounter. And it happens when someone is really connected to you at any given moment. You've likely felt this. Perhaps it was through a very difficult time in your life. And maybe in your own mind, you were worried about how someone might react to you in your weakened state. This is common where, where these I-thou encounters will happen. And some part of you is opened up. You're vulnerable. Maybe you're admitting something went down, a mistake you made. Some part of your life you've been embarrassed by. Some, some part of you you've kept really hidden. But you had a moment where you just opened it up and someone looked at you, looked at you in the eyes, and it's like they didn't even care. They could see right past it. And it's like they could see you. They could see so many different strengths, characteristics in your life, other things. They're looking at it and they're going, okay, okay, and? And you're going, well, but this thing. They're going, how are you? And you feel them embracing so much more than that one thing. It's like they don't care. Why? Because they're going, you are more than that label. You were more than that event. You were more than that weakness, that mistake, that viewpoint, our disagreement. You're more than all of that. Buber says this I thou, it can be so powerful when someone looks at you and sees all of you and says, man, I love you. Are we done talking about that one thing? Let's talk about other things. Think of a time when someone was able to look into your soul and say, I don't give a rip about that part. Or that thing there will never divide us. When we're able to look through the I thou and see this person as a whole person, this process requires us to be fully present, not listening with the intent to rebut, not developing your argument as they're talking. No, no agenda. You're able to just look at them. Say, hey, what's going on? Fully present. There's a mutuality. There's a reciprocity, a giving and a taking. A time where you just say, tell me more. Help me understand. I don't, I, I've, never, I've never understood what you're saying right now. Or this surprises me. It's, it's, it's different where, than where I come from. Can you, can you f- help me? I got lots of questions. No agenda. No convergence. Trying to, t- trying to manipulate, change, reprogram, dismiss. It says just, I, I, I just want you, I want to be here with you. Buber claimed that this I-thou encounter, when this happens, is one of the most precious parts of the human experience. 
In fact, he said, when we encounter one of these things, these moments, we can experience something so sacred, something so powerful that we touch the divine. We experience the eye of thou. If you've been around Friends Church for very long, we've been showing this diagram where, where, where part of the spiritual journey is un- uncovering who I am and not, uh, not apologizing for that. For living into who we are, not hiding our opinions, our convictions, our beliefs, but also at the same time looking at those in our world, those that they in our world, our coworkers, our family, our neighbors, our best friend, whoever, those in our world, the they, we start listening and hearing and learning and understanding and investing our lives in who they are. And when that starts to melt and we start experiencing these I-thou moments, we get to the transcendent we. These I-thou moments that just become unbelievably beautiful, life-changing moments where in the midst of chaos, in the midst of disagreement, you got people that are hugging it out, going, hey, we're, hey, hey, we, we don't even see eye to eye, but it's okay, right? I love you. I care about you. And I'm understanding you better. Hopefully you're understanding me better. All right. I, it, I, thou. Obviously, we see the art of disagreeing beautifully found in the I, thou, but how do you make that happen? How can you create these I, thou moments? In all my research, digging through Boober's information, And I mean, there's a ton of stuff right now online about finding ways through differences, attitudes, and stereotypes. You know what the number one answer they all seem to give? We need more empathy. They said that that seems to be the gateway into the I thou. More empathy. And by empathy, I'm talking the ability to sense other people's emotions. What's going on inside of them? Coupled with the ability to imagine what someone else might be thinking or feeling. The ability to get on the other side of the table and go, oh, that's more than what's being said. That's what's going on inside of you. Oh. More empathy. You know, it's funny. I've had a lot of conversations around this topic of empathy, and it's funny the number of times when empathy comes up, I'll hear people say, well, that sucks, because I don't got it. It's not my forte. I wasn't born with a whole lot of that. And so people just kind of have to deal with me, because I say it the way it is. I got bad news. The I thou encounters go away. But I've got good news. You can actually grow your levels of empathy. You you don't have a fixed amount of empathy. You're not off the hook. So you're going, "Mm -hmm. my wife has to make up for me. I don't got much of it. I go, no, no, no. The spiritual journey says, no, you can develop this. And this is what I actually want to talk about this morning. I want to share five hacks. Five hacks 
to increasing and cultivating empathy in your life. So you can look at someone on the other side of the table who you're struggling with. And you cultivate this thing. Things start to melt and you, 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 you increase the odds of having one of those I thou moments. Can we jump into it? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful this morning that everyone listening to this message would be sitting at this point saying, give me something, I'll try it. I'll, I'll give this a shot. Five hacks. First one, curiosity. Curiosity. Research has shown that if you're in a situation struggling with empathy, it might not necessarily mean that you don't care. It likely has a lot to do with the fact that you don't understand the person's perspective. That's what they are finding. When you don't understand where that person is coming from, it's hard to feel for them. Enter curiosity. Learning to ask a good question is key. Really key. And by a good question, not a leading question, but an open, tell me what your take is on all of that. Help me understand when you said that thing, what was behind that? You know, not all that long ago, Kathy and I came away from a dinner party. We were with a bunch of different people. I got in that car that night and I was so frustrated. I said, because Kathy was in one part of the room and different than we, so we weren't together all night. I said, I was circulating with some people. I watched them all night. They did not ask one question of the people they were talking to. I said, I felt like frickin' Phil Donahue all night. I'm sitting there with the mic. Oh, tell us what you think about that. Hey, what's your take on this? And people, oh, they're happy to tell me their story. They're happy to wax on about their, th- their thoughts and something. But would they turn it? Kathy says, I, I was in the same kind of conversation. She said, I just, I, I was struggling to come up with more co- Shoot me now. Curiosity is being willing to say enough about me. Help me understand you. Let me ask you something. Where are your curiosity levels lately? Have you ever, have you ever been caught in that position where someone just seems like they don't really care where, where you're at, what you're thinking about your life? Don't be that. Don't be that person. That sounds harsh. I want it to be harsh this morning. I'm not that, I'm not hardly ever that harsh. But I'm telling you, be freaking curious, curious. Open up. If someone especially who's a lot different than you, ask some questions, get them talking. The I thou cares about all the parts of a person's life that maybe some part of you doesn't even care about. The I thou says, go there. Ask about this. Let them talk about something they care about rather than just something you care about. Okay, hack number one. Painful? Maybe not. Hack number two. Expose yourself 
to differences. When um, Kathy, so a number of years ago, Kathy's brother passed away. And as a family, we decided to renovate their town, uh, his townhouse. He passed away unexpectedly. And uh, his, his townhouse was in a, if I can say it, maybe just a rougher neighborhood in the city. And it wasn't an area that we, we didn't go and visit him very often. He was more alone. If he ever came, he'd come over to our place. Anyways, we decided as a family, we want to renovate it, get it on the market, whatever. So it meant us being in that neighborhood a lot over a number of months, period. After work, weekends. I remember driving into that neighborhood one of the first times. I was like, keep the doors locked, guys. This is, this is a little nerve-wracking to me. I remember being inside the house, upstairs, everyone had left, and I'm just nervous. I'm like, I'm going to make sure that door's locked. I didn't, I've never felt that way at home, but for some reason, in this neighborhood, I had these ideas of what happens in this neighborhood, spooked. So, only a week, maybe a weekend, people start coming to our door knocking on our door. We're like, mm. I'm like, we got people, you know? I open the door. I'm like, can I help you? He says, uh, I heard all the banging. I saw the, the big bin out front. Just, I'm just a neighbor down the street. I was just curious what's going on in here. I just wanted to say hi. And are you, are you, are you guys going to be moving in? And I was like, oh, it was so unexpected. I said, Hi, I'm Jeff. Nice to meet you. And oh, no, and told them the story. They said, do you mind? I'd love to just get a little tour. Oh, yeah, sure. Come on in. Another guy comes along. Immigrant family. Only been in Canada a couple years. He and his wife and the little babies come up. Same thing. Hey, we just wanted to see what you guys are up to. I said, oh, you know, we're working on baseboards. right? Oh, I've been wanting to change out my baseboards, but I, I don't really know. I said, ah, oh, it's easy. And, you know, we just had a little conversation. I said, I, you know, I could probably show you if you ever wanted to. He says, you would show me how to do baseball? Oh, it'd be great. I said, yeah. Tell you what, we're going to be done the baseboards in the next couple of days. I'll bring the saw over. You pick out your baseboard. Tell you what, I'll help you out with a room. Before long, they're coming and delivering meals at night. We had one lady, she's, she, she's kind of the, had her nose in everyone's business in the neighborhood, I could tell. She knew whatever was going on. She would come in, always checking in, bring cookies. In a very short amount of time, my idea of that neighborhood completely changed. I, I had met more people on such a personal level in the short time we were there, in fact, when it all came time where we sold the place, I was sad. All these people were coming, saying goodbye, giving. Expose yourself to differences. This, I'm telling you, if I had not had that experience, I would still have this incredibly toxic understanding of neighborhoods that are just different than mine. Researchers are finding that empathy grows when we expose ourselves to all kinds of differences. Even diverse media, they say, can be really key. I mean, just watching a movie, as a white person watching a movie 
with storylines of non-white people in their culture who are different than you can be powerful. Learning to podcast people who hold different views. I don't know how many times, I don't know for all the podcasters in the room, but I know there have been times when I've, I've looked at the topic and the guest that's on a podcast and I'm going, eh, I don't think I'm going to like this one. And I skip over. Nah, don't like that person. Don't see eye to eye with him. Nope. Keep going. Keep going until I find my echo chamber. Hmm, like this person. Because they say what I like. Let's listen to them. Preach it. (laughs) But every now and then, I get duped. I think, oh, this person's going to say what I like. And then they don't. And partway in, I start going, hey, wait a second. That's a good point. Hmm. Wow. Listening to podcasts of people who hold much different beliefs and viewpoints Political perspectives can be powerful, not short, not short form, not little snippets, but long form, where they can talk about more than just the topic you care about, but they can talk about their lives, and you see all that's going in and around them and why they think the way they think. Powerful. The more context, the better. And this includes books, it includes documentaries, Let me ask you something. When was the last time you intentionally listened or watched something you knew was going to confront your own attitudes and behaviors, viewpoints on life? And you went, I want to listen to this anyways. I just want to see what they say. I want to hear them explain more. That's I thou. I want to get behind that. I want to be curious. I want to expose myself to different thinking. Hack three. This is interesting. They said, you want to cultivate empathy in your life? Read some fiction. I just went, what? I'm not a big fiction person, to be honest. They said, to read fiction or other kinds of character-driven stories can cultivate empathy like few things, very few. Specifically, Raymond Marr, he's a professor of psychology, he said, to understand stories... We have to understand characters. We have to understand their motivations. We have to understand their interactions, reactions, and goals. We have to see so much. That's what fiction does. It develops these characters. Sometimes those characters are completely off the wall. But if you invest yourself in learning and experiencing their world, where they're coming from, what they grew up in, how they're reacting. You allow yourself to see through their eyes. Something begins to happen inside. They say we can actually improve our ability to understand real people in the real world at the same time. That's what happens when we do that. Apparently, this works with any medium. As long as the core element is of a narrative or a story and characters. It could be a movie on Netflix. It could be a novel. Shoot, Kathy and I were at the Jubilee not a long ago. We went to um, that theater project on The Temptations. I'm as white as they come, man. I, I've grown up in, you know, kind of white Alberta. But I'm telling you, I watched the story of The Temptations 
this vocal group that grew up in Detroit, Motown. And they began to tell their life story, the challenges being black people in the 60s and 70s and 80s, all the things within their culture that they struggled with. I was so, there were moments of that, of that production, I was so gripped. I was just like white knuckling it going, oh my God, this is so moving. Allowing yourself to become invested in these characters and stories and narratives. Now that wasn't fictional. But have you ever considered that watching a movie and allowing yourself to just look through the perspective of even any character, pick anyone, and allow them to just feel what they're feeling? Get into that thing. You see, you want to create empathy, cultivate it, try that. This week, turn on a movie and just say, I'm going to pick a couple of characters and I'm going to feel deeply what they're feeling. Let's move on. Hack number four. Two more. Hack number four. Here's an interesting empathy hack. Finding common ground. I was um, struggling with my next door neighbor. Uh, First world issue, he doesn't take care of his lawn. (laughs) Bothering me. I look out my backyard and I'd look over the fence. I'm like, holy crap. I could combine those dandelions. And it was driving me crazy. I I was like, someone's got to say something. Had this attitude. One day on my day off, I come home from golfing and I go out in the backyard to play with my dog and he's barbecuing. And he says, Jeff, you just go golfing? I said, yeah. Hey, are you a golfer? He's like, yeah. I go, you are? I didn't know that. He's like, well, you know, a typical, I don't call myself a golfer. I like it. And so we start talking. He says, I was just struggling with this. I'm going, oh, yeah, me too. We had a 10-minute conversation. And at the end of that 10 minutes, as we talked about a common ground around golf, my attitude toward that guy melted. In fact, I had zero irritation around his life. In fact, you know what's a weird thing? I came inside and said, I bet I got enough weed killer to spray his lawn. I could, I could do that. I could probably take my weed eater over there and just mow down a bunch of that stuff. Something melted. I went, I, a 10-minute conversation where all of a sudden we started talking about something we both had in common. This is science, folks. When you perceive another person as being somewhat like yourself, who shares similar interests, you can't help it. It will motivate you to help the other person. It'll give you grace for the other person, even at a personal cost to you. That's what they say. Even if common ground gets created right in the moment, even if you couldn't see it ahead of time, but all of a sudden in that moment, someone says, oh, I'm just frustrated with my kids. I go, oh, really? I know what you mean. And in that moment, a little common ground. Finding similarities instead of fixating on the differences. Instead of fixating on the differences in the midst of all this turbulence in the Middle East right now. And we're all watching it, aren't we? It's it's terrifying. 
watching what's going down on the world st- stage. And my Instagram feeds are plugged with people dividing lines saying, which side are you on right now? In the midst of all of that, the villainizing of people who are supporting one or, n- or not the other. Someone wrote this this week on Instagram. She said, thousands of lives are being stolen. Human beings with favorite colors and school crushes. Human beings who had just learned to walk or just tasted their first watermelons. Human beings who were on their way to celebrate an anniversary or meet their new grandchild. They're gone. Interesting how she wrote this. The, the controversial labels are all missing. All she describes are experiences the people on both sides have likely experienced. Oh, I know that taste of watermelon. I've celebrated an anniversary or 30. These human experiences that so you begin to realize these people sitting on the other line, they're experiencing just like us. Such an empowering. I watched the comments that flew off of this post. People going, we need, uh, we need to be reminded these are just people like us. Think about a person right now you don't get along with. A people group who perhaps you struggle to empathize with. How willing are you to focus away from the label that's bothering you? To see the humanity, to see all of the humanity in their world. Last hack, cultivating empathy, is this, second guess yourself. Much of empathy boils down to our willingness to challenge our assumptions and our automatic reactions and biases. To second guess what we think, to second guess our conclusions, our stereotypes, the way that we look at someone and say, oh, I know your type. Cultivating empathy says, I don't trust some of my biases. Number one, I'm aware of my biases. I'm aware of how I come into this topic already. And I'm just going to lay them down for a second. I'm just going to start asking some questions because I maybe got it wrong. When was the last time you just went, I want to listen to a different opinion on this matter and see if perhaps I've missed something. Over the next four weeks, we're going to meet some different people and we're going to explore some topics that have generated some very strong opinions. And we're hoping as a community that our collective empathy is going to take a massive step forward, no matter where you stand on any of these issues that we raise on a Sunday morning. As we listen, we lean in to listen carefully. We're going to practice, hopefully, ninja levels of curiosity. We're going to look for common ground. We're going to challenge our assumptions and biases. We're going to move out of that I-it perspective, that label, and we're going, to, we're going to push it aside and say, no, help me understand everything that you are looking through. Help me see your world. 
Our prayer is that when it's all said and done, we'll have tackled not just some biggie topics that normally have divided people, but we'll come out of the other side of that feeling like most of the stuff that we're dealing with at home, at work, in our, in our neighborhoods, with our families around the dinner table, will feel like child's play. Well, let's talk about that. Let's tackle some big ones, can we? We're going to kick open the door for so many I-thou encounters over the next while. Where people, regardless of their disagreements, are going to feel like someone's looking at them and saying, I care. My prayer for you this week is that you will cultivate, you'll grow in some part of your empathy world that will make it possible for you to stay at the table longer. You won't just go, okay, I'm out. You'll, you'll be able to lean in. It's our prayer. Next week, Vince is going to interview the dad of a transgender child. Regardless of your stance on this topic, I'm telling you, I'm going to invite you to come and learn and li- listen and hear the story, understand the complexity. And I can't wait to see the empathy levels climb in this room. Mm, it's going to be beautiful. I want to close this morning and invite the band up. They're going to sing a song that I think speaks to the beauty of the I-thou frame of mind. My prayer for you today, you got someone in your world right now that's given you all you can handle? Don't walk away. What's it going to be? What, what approach, what hack can you use to get the conversation restarted again? Is it a family member? Is it a sibling that's grown cold? A relationship? A parent? Friend? Best friend? Would you be willing to try something this week to kickstart a different kind of way of relating? It's our prayer.